Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Nights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with another episode of Obsidian Nights podcast where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire chapter by chapter. And today I am doing John 6 of A Game of Thrones and I am joined by Simone Black. Simone, would you like to tell the people who you are and where they can find you? Hi, everyone. Uh, Thank you again, Gray, for having me on the show. Um, you guys can find me on Archive of Our Own. I am a fan fiction writer, and my story is The Black Mummers. So what's The Black Mummers about? I will read you the quick summary, and you guys can decide if you think it's better than the show or if you want to enjoy it for yourself. Here goes. Winter and war have come for Westeros. Amidst all the suffering, there is Brienne of Tarth, political exile tasked with disguising herself as a man to assassinate Tywin Lannister. Also, the Targaryens, Daenerys, Viserys, and the mysterious bastard John can take the Iron Throne. Ooh. So, wait. So, Brienne disguising herself as a man to kill Tywin Lannister? Yes. I like that. I think you would like it. It's, it's fun. Like, I just posted chapter nine today, and I just took all the characters, all the culture and world building that George R.R. Martin put into his stories and I remixed the shit out of it and it's just a lot of fun so send me the link and I will put it in the description box and we can check it out we can all check it out all right sounds good awesome so um are you you're on Twitter Instagram any of those places uh, I have a Twitter um it's at Alora Scott uh which I can send to you too but I haven't really started up it's my official it's gonna be my official like pen name and stuff and I'm not ready to post like to eh, to emerge into the world yet you know okay so well we'll be waiting okay I mean if you guys just want to check out the fan fiction on archive of our own that's that's fine for me I always update people on there awesome so I'll be checking that out. Hopefully you guys will check that out. The link will be in the description box. So I want to talk over. So we're talking about John 6, right? And to me, I loved this chapter and rereading it. I found so many Easter eggs. And mm-hmm. this is the chapter where John Snow takes the black. Um, was there anything that stood out to you in the first reread before we start going through the chapter? Yes, there are a number of things. Um, as we mentioned before, uh, John converting people uh, to, the, uh, to the old gods, uh, which you brought up, but I also noted that. And I, I was very interested in the way that this story, uh, this chapter and the next chapter, the next John chapter, they're like two mounting horror stories. <laughs> the way that George R. R. Martin describes the oppressive, magical feeling of the forest, yes. the way that ghost looks like the the um, weirwoods, yes, and then the hand. I think it's great horror. I think it sets up great tension, and you can feel the the weight of the magic and the oldness of the of the haunted forest. Yes. and then you know the next chapter is just like they build that to a crescendo. So that's one of the things I really like about George is like at his core, I feel like he's a horror writer, like phenomenal horror writer. There's one chapter, like there's a lot of chapters in A Song of Ice and Fire that I necessarily don't want to read in the dark alone (laughs) by myself. The, uh, The one chapter where... Um, Mary Mazdor is in that tent. Tent. Oh my God. And then you see the <laughs> shadows. 
Yes. Oh my God. The demons. It's just creepy. Like he does creepy so well. And one of the, one of the books of George's that I can recommend is that is actually horror is a fever dream. And it's like a vampire story. It takes place in Louisiana, right? Yeah. On a steamboat, like in the 1800s or 1900s, 1800. I don't think it's 1800. I think it's 1900s, but it's like, it's creepy as hell, but it's good. It's not like, like he has some horror that I'm just like, oh no, like meat man, meat house man, can't do it. I think you mentioned that in one of your videos that meat house, meat house man. man or some of his horror stories you mentioned. And yeah, just- like some of them are, are like horror and then there's like some sci-fi mixed in. But like when he does just regular old school horror I feel like that's when he's his best. Now, as a writer, I got to say, horror, it manifests itself in so many different ways. And I think George is really good at presenting that. So you have horror that takes you out of your comfort zone. I mean, all horror does, but you have horror that takes you out of your comfort zone. So for John, I think he's experiencing his own horror, you know, like his own existential horror when he comes to the night's watch and he's realizing it's not what he thought it was going to be what it was going to be then you have like the just violent visceral horror like aria and 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 sansa being there when their head their father's head gets chopped off yeah and then you have the creepy like sinks into your bones horror like daenerys's dream where she's having sex with his daughter and his Ah. cock is cold as ice you know, yeah. like it, it's and that that really stuck with me because I, I feel like that's definitely you're on fucking around. Yeah, it's, but, it's creepy. Ugh. It's, it's, he's, he's good, man. He is fucking legend. Hurry up and really? finish wins. George, please. Please. <laughs> please. Begging you. Like. <laughs> so this chapter, it opens up and um, John is eating breakfast and Sam comes in and Sam has been summoned to the sept. So what happens with, with the Night's Watch is when they're to pass into the Night's Watch and there's to say their vows, they do this at the sept. So... This got me into a whole thing about the religions in Westeros. Like, just, I went down a rabbit hole when I was rereading this chapter. All right, let's jump in. Come on. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why? Like, the Night's Watch has been around for years and years and years and years, thousands of years. Why does the Night's Watch keep the faith of the seven? Like, why is that predominantly what, they use to for the voice to say their vows when you would think because it's so far north that it would be the old gods that would be the prominent god of the wall that's a good thought you know you'd think that mostly northmen would go to the wall or would you know like big houses they would send like a second or a third son to the to to the wall and it would be an honored position yeah but I think in the books, because um, there's there's so many characters in the Night's Watch itself, I think most of them are Southern, right? I could be wrong. A but. lot of them are Southern. Like, the well, a lot of them are, they're, they're just like rapers and thieves <laughs> from all over. Like, they yeah. just get whatever they can. And, the, you know, the Night's Watch isn't what it used to be. Like, it's not what it once was at all. Like, at one time... The wall, the wall has like 19 castles on it. And at one time, all these castles were full of men. Um, Mm -hmm. Like during Aegon's conquest, I think there, they said that like the Night's Watch had 10,000 men. And and now, like right now, presently, there's less than a thousand. Like they only Mm -hmm. can man three castles, Mm -hmm. uh, Castle Black, East Watched, and the Shadow Tower. And I think it's in a Clash of Kings when Yorin is like, you know, the Night's Watch used to be an honor. People would, if the Night's Mm -hmm. Watch came to them, they would be feasting them at their castles Mm -hmm. from Winterfell to Dorne. And now this fool wants to charge me for an apple with a worm in it. Like the Night's Watch 
like a forgotten order. Like it's this forgotten ancient order. But I just wonder because like the Lord commanders that we know about, like the ones that we know about, which is Brendan Rivers. Right. And the old bear. And the old bear and John. They all seem like they kept the old gods. I It doesn't say. Oh, yeah. It doesn't say if the old bear kept the old gods but he's i'm sure he's up the north yeah he's from bear island so i'm sure he kept the old gods and then you have brendan rivers who's a blackwood and blackwoods Mm -hmm. keep the old gods and then john is a stark and the starks keep the old gods so to me it's like well what the fuck is this sept all about like why have the sept be this thing in the north like to me it seems like it's an abomination it's kind of like the standard place you know where they first initiate the boys right like they bring them there first they bring them to the set first they got a drunk (laughs) set you know and then they go and it might be because they take their vows in the haunted forest and maybe they just want to cross all the x's like oh you're in the you're southern you know let's just go to the church real quick Right. It seems like most of this batch, right? Yeah. Uh, This particular batch. And then we get another batch in Storm of Swords where we'll talk, I mean, in a dance, a dragons that we're going to talk about in a minute. But it just seems like to me, you should have to convert to the old gods if you're on the wall because, like, (laughs) ain't no, ain't no faith the seven in the north <laughs> and it's like, not going to protect your ass baby yeah the the seven gods aren't going to protect you in the north i don't know i mean i guess they can't force religion on people and it does seem like westeros is kind of like relaxed when it comes to religion like the faith of the seven is the dominant religion but like they don't try to force it on anybody like they don't they don't live by it right yeah oh no they, they don't. honey no. <laughs> i mean that's everywhere <laughs> everywhere but they go to the sept and sam has found out that he's going to actually pass along in the night's watch he's going to join the night's watch become a brother of the night's watch be promoted and john acts like he john's just like truly like you're gonna yeah you're gonna write write ravens for maester aemon you're gonna read and write ravens for him oh my goodness like how did this ever happen and like (laughs) you did it john and i think it's like i think that says something about john's character what do you think it says that he doesn't take credit for it that he didn't do it because he wanted sam to be praising him or to like have sam's loyalty like he did it just because he cared about sam i agree i agree i think i think what he did for sam was really sweet but i also thought it was a good show of leadership which yes you know we'll get into that i'm sure later um but yeah when he played dumb it's just like oh yeah congratulations girl like <laughs> You did it. Like, I had nothing to do with it. Nope. What's, you know, but that's also interesting because, all right, I, I really looked at John's moods in this chapter. And later on, when he is assigned to the stewards, he shows his ass. He does. He shows his ass. And I'm like, where was that sweet, humble boy at the at the beginning of the chapter? Yeah. You know? He does. He does a, he does a 180. <laughs> he does mm. one But he realizes it he does he says i was playing the boy i was playing the boy you're right i was playing the boy but one of the most interesting things in this entire chapter to me is samuel tarley wanting to say his vows in front of the heart tree yeah so um he's so sweet (laughs) It says, at evenfall, as the sun sets and we face the gathering night, you shall take your vows. From that moment, you will be a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. Your crimes will be washed away, your debts forgiven. So too you must wash away your former loyalties. Put aside your grudges, forget old wrongs and old loves alike. Here you begin anew. A man of the Night's Watch lives his life for the realm, not for a king, 
nor Lord, nor the honor of this house or that house, neither for gold nor glory, nor woman's love, but for the realm and all the people in it. A man of the night's watch takes no wife and fathers no sons. Our wife is duty, our mistress is honor, and you are the only sons we shall ever know. So Mm -hmm. the old bear is like teaching them or telling them, you know, what their vows mean. Like after you say these, you have forsworn these things. And I feel like if John had got these vows two chapters later, he wouldn't have been at the Night's Watch. He'd have been with Rob. Like he would have left. Yeah. He'd have been with Rob. And I think it's these vows are a lot to ask of a kid. And at the end of the day, these boys are kids. Truth. It's unfair. Like, and this is why George R. R. Martin is one of the goats. Uh, His world building is incredible. Like the world building itself puts our characters' hearts in conflict. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really, really special the way he did that. And it's so frustrating. You see some of these boys and young men, you know, who are ousted from Westerosi society. They have no chance of surviving within it. They're not welcome in it, no matter what they did, whether they're innocent or not. Yes. And, you know, it's just... And then uh, the old bear gives them a chance to leave right then. But yeah. where are you leaving to? Yeah, where are you going to go? Like, that's another thing I was thinking, like, do you know how far the closest castle is from <laughs> Castle Black is the last hearth? And it's like, it would take days and days and days to get there. They don't have any food. They don't have, like, any horses or any like they they would basically be it's either they're gonna take say these vows or they're gonna die from yeah. starvation in the cold because not night's watch is not gonna give you a horse a cloak a piece of bread and be like oh thanks for using our resources and sleeping in our bed all this time bye like right and I, I like i wondered like what would happen if they wanted to leave like i was thinking about <laughs> that like where are they gonna go there's nowhere to go you it's a either, sad story on there. Yeah, like, you can't, like, you're forced. Once you're there, you're forced to be there. And that's just what it is. And it, it's sad. So um, the old bear tells them, you know, you can take, you can say your vows here at Evenfall before the Septon um, and the first person in your order. So John's order happens to be the stewards. And we're going to talk about that. So John would say mm-hmm. his vows in front of the heart tree and bow and marsh so he asked if anyone keeps the old gods john of course keeps the old gods and they're like well you're gonna say your vows in front of a heart tree as your uncle benjamin did and um he says the gods of the set had nothing to do with him the blood of the first men flowed in the veins of the starks and i wonder about that a lot because actually his father's gods were the faith of the seven. Rhaegar. Right. Yes. Rhaegar's gods were the faith of the seven. But at the same time, like the Targaryens themselves actually think they're gods. So yeah. they didn't necessarily, they only accepted the faith of the seven. Like Aegon only accepted it because t- for peace. Like yeah. they, he, the Targaryens and the faith were kind of at war a lot throughout history. So, I mean, I guess the Faith of the Seven don't have anything to offer them. Because to me, the Faith of the Seven are false gods anyway. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I mean, in terms of magic, yeah, um, the Faith are definitely not popping. But I will say that when it comes to characters, I think the description of each of the Seven embodies each of the characters at different times. Especially the Starks. Yes, especially the Starks. And but I look at I look at uh, characters like Brienne. I think Brienne is embodied by the maiden and the warrior. Um, and Arya is definitely the stranger. My God, yeah, come on. But um, yeah. But in terms of magic, no, there's nothing there. You know, it's just pretty crystals and sculptures and 
overly wealthy septins and starving people, you know, who spread the good word, you know, and are the victims of war. But there's no magic there. And yeah. I don't know what solution it would offer, like in terms of the White Walkers. None. Not a not a not a damn one. <laughs> not a breath of flame, baby. <laughs> not one. So um they ask, you know, well, has anybody else? Oh, first I want to talk about this. So he says, um, well, you'll find a heart tree outside past the wall in the haunted forest. And I was like, damn, George, you couldn't think of a better name than the, ha- <laughs> <laughs> the haunted forest. And imagine like, all right, you have Sam, you know, Sam is like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to take to these new gods in the haunted forest, the coward, you know, right. The big coward going into the haunted forest with the trees with faces i mean that that's brave i mean sam says he's a coward but he's fucking brave in a lot of ways yeah he really you know. is i love sam I do too so anyway so that the haunted four <laughs> like i just i can't i the can't spooky woods <laughs> it could have been the spooky woods could you imagine yes it'd be so fucking goofy the spooky woods. <laughs> So the the haunted forest though is actually huge, and it said that like the history on the haunted forest is like the blocks of ice from the lakes in the haunted forest were used for the construction of the wall. I did not know that. Yeah, so there's some lakes in the haunted forest, and they basically cut blocks from them and use them for the wall, which is tea. See, <laughs> magic, spooky forest water. Yeah, you know. So when they ask, so he asks, you know, does anybody else keep the old gods? And so Sam's like, my lord. The voice made John glance back in surprise. Samwar Tarly was on his feet. The fat boy wiped his sweaty palms against his tunic. Might I? Might I go as well to say my words at this heart tree? Does House Tarly keep the old gods too? Mormont asked. No, my lord, Sam replied in a thin, nervous voice. The high officers frightened him. John knew, the old bear most of all. I was named in the light of the seven at the sept on Horn Hill, as my father was and his father and all the Tarleys for a thousand years. Why would you forsake the gods of your father and your house? Wondered Sir Jeremy Riker. The Night's Watch is my house now, Sam said. The seven have never answered my prayers. Perhaps the old gods will. I (sighs) love that part. Yes. I love that part. And it's not just like, it's not just that Sam, like Sam is a high, is highborn. He's been, and he says like, I've been raised by this light of the seven i've been raised and named in this light of the seven my father's fathers going back centuries and centuries so to me it's a big deal that sam is now saying fuck these seven i'm going to the old gods and i feel like it's a big turning point in sam's story when he actually accepts the old gods and he doesn't do it because like he doesn't do it because john snow is nice to him he just does it. And we see it happen again in A Dance with Dragons where there's five guys. I think it's five guys. Not the burger place, but <laughs> <laughs> just five guys. So, um, like, it seems like a small thing that, um, I don't know, like, at first glance, you might not even care about it. But in dance, in A Dance with Dragons, we have Harith, Aaron, Emmerich and Satin. So they all choose to say their vows to the old gods as well. So Harith, like, I think he's from Molestown. So like, that's not really a big deal. And the wildlings that go, of course, they're going to say their vows mm-hmm. in, in front of the old gods. But you have Harith, or you have Aaron and Emmerich who are from Fair Isle, which of course on Fair Isle, it's going to be the faith of the seven all day. And then Satin who comes from um, Old Old Town. Town. And of course, Old Town is where the starry, the starry sept is like the, it's huge. Like that's where the most 
the most people that worship the seven are because like that's where they're headquartered at like if yeah it's like the vatican right yeah it's like the vatican rome exactly so for for these people to be converting to the old gods i feel like that says something and i don't want to say that that like that says something about john i feel like that says something about the old gods like to me the old gods are waking yes power and they're calling people and they're calling people and people are answering the call I wrote this down with Sam. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I I agree with you, too. And I was when I was going over the chapter a few days ago, I read that and I was like, is this foreshadowing? Is this some sort of foreshadowing or some sort of theme that's going to keep recurring, you know, up until the the huge battle? Yeah, right. You know, like they've never answered my prayers. So what prayers are going to get answered for our boy, Sam? Well, he, he does kill a white walker. He does. Boy, is brave, man. I don't care what Sam, Sam, the slayer, the slayer. <laughs> so let's talk about this. The sorting, mm. the sorting and not the Harry Potter hat <laughs> sorting, but like, this is the sorting. So, well, when, every every good fantasy book has to have a sorting. Has to. Hunger Games. Or like yes. Hunger Games or, what is it? Divergent? I don't know. No one cares. Di- about that. Divergent. <laughs> Harry Potter. Like, you got to get grouped. You got to get sorted. So um, the sorting. I mean, Hunger Games has sorting by districts. That's they're, true. They're yes, sorted. See. They're sorted. <laughs> That's true. So once you become... And once you pass your training and you become a man of the Night's Watch, you are sorted and grouped. So there's three groups of people on the wall, the builders, the stewards, and the rangers. So the builders basically keep up the construction on the wall, fix shit on the castle. Like they're like maintenance men, I guess. Are they the ones who cut down the trees too, who clear back the forest when it starts to really creep up on the wall? Are they the ones who cut? Yes. And then you have the stewards. So the stewards are like, um, they keep the fires burning. They help with meals. Like they 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 do everything. They take care of the horses. They do the butchering. Yeah, they do everything. They make the clothes. They're like the yeah. women. They're like the women. I think that's why John was offended. <laughs> yeah. They consider it women's work. Women's work. Yeah. Well, whatever. We're fucking strong. It's 2020. 20, it's 2021. 2021. Rest <laughs> in peace to that raggedy bitch. Right. <laughs> and then you have the rangers. And the rangers are like the soldiers. They're the warriors of the Night's Watch. Mm-hmm. even though but, they die like flies yes there are the people that go beyond the wall on rangings and like B- benjen is a ranger so benjen uh the first three uh night's watchmen that we come in contact with garrett will and sir waymar royce they're all rangers oh yeah so john wants to be a ranger but John's bubble is busted because John Snow is a steward. He goes to the stewards and mm. he's pissed about it. Like he's pissed about it. And I'm not going to say rightfully so, but I could see him as what is he? 14. Mm-hmm. I could see a 14 year old that has trained the people that have been made rangers right and then you and then like i trained these motherfuckers like how can i train them and they're rangers and i'm not but he said i'm a better swordsman than all of you right but he's not looking at the bigger picture and bowen marsh and aemon like try to talk some sense into him but like it's not working like he doesn't really he doesn't really care what they say he's just like mad and in the moment but sam is like 
you're stupid. Like, don't you see? Like, they're grooming you. Like, the the Lord Commander has chosen you to be his personal steward. And he, like, explains about how his father always took him along with him. And he had to watch mm-hmm. everything his father did because his father was grooming him before, I guess, before his brother his was born. Yeah. <laughs> before, <Born>. before Dickon. <laughs> Dickon. Really, George? I always think every time I hear Dick on, I always just see Braun laughing on the field of fire. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. So he says, you know, you're right. You're right. I was playing the boy. Like I was playing the boy. You're right, Sam. And I want to talk a minute about why Lord Commander Mormont would want John to be his personal steward. Like what is it that he's seen in John? And I feel like, he's seen a lot of leadership qualities in John. And I feel like it's even things that we don't necessarily talk about or John isn't necessarily aware of. Like, I'm pretty sure that Maester Eamon had to go to the old bear and tell him, you know, John Snow came to me about Samuel Tarley. Like, I don't feel like that was a decision Maester Eamon made on his own. I don't think Maester yeah. Eamon can make that decision on his own. Like, I feel like he had to go and tell that to the old bear. Oh, yeah. And I mean, imagine the shock that Eamon got. It's late at night. You're old and blind. You know, everybody's getting ready to go to bed. And then this kid comes in in the middle of the night out of the cold to tell you about someone else. I think that's a great show of leadership. And yeah, it is. And it's like, it's so smart because like, look who, who was helping Maester Eamon before Sam, Chet. Chet and the other <laughs> dude, right? The other ugly dude. <laughs> like, Chet, like, if, like, if you were Maester Eamon, would you rather have Chet or Sam or Tarly as your personal steward? Which one had the bad eyes? Couldn't even read. I think that was Chet. No, was that Chet? wasn't that or wasn't the, the other one. I know he had two. He had two stewards that mm-hmm. um but none of them could read. And Maester Eamon has to send letters and shit. Right. You know? So like that is a good like that show that he had a good mind, good leadership skills, and like he actually cared about his brother of the Night's Watch. No matter how invaluable Alistair Thorne would think Samwell is, John finds the value in him and uses it. I mean, it's it's just such, that last chapter, I read it just to prepare for this one. It's just such a good show. Like a good show of kingliness, perhaps. Uh, definitely a good show of leadership and a good understanding of your people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to go back to John being angry about uh, being sorted into the stewards because there was something that he thought I was, that I was uh, found very interesting. Um, And it was his temper. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk about, and I know the obligatory comparison between Daenerys and John and blah, but (laughs) a lot of people talk about, oh, Danny, she's so, she's so angry and hot headed and she doesn't think. But I want to read this quote because to me, it also showed that John has a temper and it could it it could say something, you know, going forward, like in the winds of winter, his decisions, his, you know. So here's the quote. Outside, John looked up at the wall shining in the sun, the melting ice creeping down its side in a hundred thin fingers. John's rage was such that he would have smashed it all in an instant and the world be damned mm. for some reason that, that, I, that never noticed inside. That. I never noticed that in my previous readings but we we have a good feeling that the wall is gonna fall right yeah john's going through his own spooky dying and coming back to life scenario right yep let's put on our tinfoil hats really quick what if just like Daenerys might be the destroyer of King's Landing, what if John might be the destroyer of the wall in some fashion? He could be. And I think there's another chapter where it says John looks up at the wall and he notices, he's like, all I know is if this wall falls, the world falls with it or some shit like that. Yeah. 
there's a lot of foreshadowing of with John when it comes to the wall falling and like the whole the whole thing with the with the uh his whole mission with the wildlings is basically the wildlings are looking for this horn that's going to bring down the wall mm-hmm. and they can't find it so it could be it could be John well in a sense, like in a symbolic sense, John is bringing down the wall between the wildlings and, and the Westeros and Westeros because he's letting the wildlings through the wall, and that's what gets him killed. So when he comes back, he might just bring that whole motherfucker down. <laughs> like I oh. mean, he might be so fucking mad that he got betrayed, killed, you know, stabbed by his own order. Yeah, yeah. and like Bowen Marsh to me was like one of the worst ones to stab him he's like, a bitch like i hate him for stabbing john like i hate him for stabbing john but like you can tell that there's animosity growing mm-hmm. with, with Bo and marsh and john like all through dance like you can tell yeah but and- I, I just i didn't think he would betray him i i didn't think he would betray him i thought he was gonna stay true but you know, and the thing was, I, unfortunately, I saw season five of the show before I read book five. Like I'd been in between watching the show and reading the books. And when he was stabbed, like uh, on the show, yeah, it was Ali. But I was like, who who the fuck is this kid? And then when I read the book, I was like, who the fuck are these dudes? <laughs> right. Like, who's who are these dudes? But I reread it. And you could see the growing animosity, but I also saw where John made his mistakes. You know, he would not communicate with his commanders. And I know we're not supposed to be talking about this. I know we're supposed to be talking about chapter one, but he did make his mistakes. You know, he did not communicate well with his commanders. He made rash decisions uh, without consulting them, even though I think he would have made those decisions anyway, Mm -hmm. um, had he consulted them and they, you know, shout him down and everything. But um, it sucks, you know, there are consequences whether you intend for them to happen or not for these characters. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about them going to the haunted forest. So it Mm. says they Mm -hmm. set out late that afternoon. The wall had no gates as such, neither here at Castle Black nor anywhere along its 300 miles. They led their horses down a narrow tunnel, cut through the ice, cold, dark walls pressing in around them as the passage twisted and turned. Three times their way was blocked by iron bars and they had to stop while Bowen Marsh drew out his keys and unlocked the massive chains that secured them. John could sense the vast weight pressing down on him as he waited behind the Lord Steward. The air was colder than a tomb and more still. He felt a strange Mm. relief when they reemerged in the afternoon light on the north side of the wall. Mm. So they are traveling beyond the wall and this is our first time we're having a main character go beyond the wall and it's scary because we know what happened beyond the wall in the prologue Mm -hmm. and that was we know that there are these white walkers out there killing folk and um john takes ghost with him of course yep as he should shit right (laughs) And I think they're kind of like, are you really going to take that direwolf with you? Like, do you mean to take him with you? And John's like, yeah. Okay, from there. <laughs> right. So the Haunted Forest isn't like the Wolf's Wood of Winterfell. Like, they're, the Wolf's Wood of Winterfell is like, or the Wolf's Wood is like has lots of trees and stuff but up here in the north everything is undisturbed and there are like weirwoods on weirwoods like they see nine weirwoods growing in a circle and like john can't even really believe it when he sees it like he's he's like you never in the woods see two or three of the white trees growing together like a grove of nine is just craziness yeah and you know john grew up in this religion yes you know he knows it inside and out. And even he's shocked by this. Yes. And I, <laughs> and I wanna go back, um, you know, to describing the, the haunted forest. Mm-hmm. Every step in the snow sounds like breaking bones. Yes. The, the trees block out the sunlight. We don't hear about that in the wolf's wood or the king's wood. Right. You know? 
you know, these dark shadows and ominous sounds in this like unsettling quiet. Yeah, it's creepy. It's creepy as fuck. Great horror writing, too. He says the chilly fingers tracing a path up John's spine. Like, it just gives me the goosebumps, like, thinking about it. I think about ghostly fingers, like white, translucent ghostly fingers, like, caressing his spine. And it's just, ugh, ugh, no. No, thank you. And it's like, so they say that the forest floor was carpeted with fallen leaves, blood red on top, black rot beneath. The wide, smooth trunks were bone pale and nine faces stared inward. The dried step that crusted in the eyes was red and hard as ruby. So they lead the horses because it's like sacred place. They don't want to like have the horses shitting all over the place. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Sam looks at John and he's like, they're watching us, the old gods. Yeah. And it's like, Sam can feel, like I feel like if we had this in Sam's POV, like Sam would be feeling them looking at him. Kind of like how Theon does when Theon is in the godswood at Winterfell. Yeah. And um, they, oh, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to, um kind of jump off that like he's saying they're watching us and then it made me think back to the prologue when they were being watched as well yes and something had been watching them all day and the and the children of the forest yes can see through these trees exactly and i don't i know sam doesn't know the depth of it even john doesn't really know the depth of it but Mm -hmm. It's funny that Sam is the one, the outsider is the one who who feels the eyes, you know, and mentions it. I mean, I know they all feel the eyes. I mean, it's probably <laughs> it's probably the first time that Sam Waltarley's ever been in a Godswood, and especially a Godswood like this one. Mm. Because John has who's been raised on the old gods has never been in a Godswood like this one. So I I just can feel it. Like I could feel like if this was in Sam's POV, Sam would be like, they're watching us. They see me. They see me. They see me. They hear me. They're talking to me. (laughs) Like I could just see see him being like, kind of like frantic in his own mind. Um, So they kneel down and they say the words, hear my words and bear my witness to my vow. They recited their voices filling the twilight grove. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the fire that burns against the cold, the light that brings the dawn, the horn that wakes the sleepers, the shield that guards the realms of men. I pledge my life and honor to the Night's Watch for this night and all the nights to come. And Bowen Marsh says, you knelt as boys, rise as men of the Night's Watch. So, mm. I mean, the Night's Watch vows to me are ridiculous. Just ridiculous. And I wonder, like, how much of this is original. Like, when the Night's Watch was first founded, are these the vows that they oh. said? Or were was shit added to? Was shit added to it? Like, why would you have to hold no lands? Like, was that a thing when the first Night's Watch was founded? Was it a thing that you couldn't hold land or or have a crown or win any glory? Like, was that a thing? You know, that might have been a thing, like with men deserting. But I feel like th- if this was not like in the original contract, I feel like it would have been after the night king who uh took his his white witch queen yeah and took her seed or she took his seed and took his soul that might have been when after they struck him from the history when she took his seed and took his soul that might have been when they were like all right no fucking women up here (laughs) like none yeah i think that i think you might maybe right about that like i do think that maybe this could be the original words but i don't know like i don't see why like, I feel like there would have had to been something that happened for them to make these vows, these vows. So I think the Night's King is a point where they were probably like, oh, hell no. Like, shit's gone too far. We got to stop this. So, um, right. <laughs> do you um, do you listen to Lucifer means Lightbringer? Um, I have before. Um, I'm pretty cool. Like, he's pretty cool. I like him. He's cool. 
Um, have you heard his theory? I think, well, I'm probably going to fudge it up, but like his theory of, um, when it comes to the, the creation of the white walkers and creation of, uh, and the comparison between the Kingsguard. Um, yeah. So we talked about that on our, uh, so he came on an episode of Obsidian Knights on the Eddard one. And he talked about like some of the symbolism behind it, but not like the whole, like he didn't give me the whole entire theory. Yeah. Well, I I thought it was interesting. Like, I, I don't remember his entire theory, but essentially he was talking about how like, uh, it may have been, I think it may have been that witch queen who created the white walkers like they were her sons or something mm-hmm. like that because you know they steal babies and stuff yeah that, i now this was in the show i don't know if the white walkers like go from babies and grow up into into you know white walkers they might just you know drink their blood for their youth i have no idea <laughs> for their well, young there, life you know there is a there is a thing um there's like an old man story where they talk about siring half human babies from the from, from old the, from one of old nan stories talks about the white walkers stealing chill stealing girl children in the dead of the night to sire half human babies Ooh, ooh, old nan yeah old nan <laughs> got the juice right <laughs> we need like a whole fan fiction on old nan stories oh snap i don't know if i'm <laughs> the one for it she, that might be too much i might get too tinfoily with that you know you look (laughs) you never know so um there's this quote in here it says dark's falling and there's something in the smell of the night that i mislike who said that diwin uh was it diwin it was diwin or bowen marsh yeah it was diwin so he says that um there's something in the air that he doesn't like and we had that in the prologue about something being in the air mm-hmm. something about this night scared them when no other nights had scared them but this night had scared them mm-hmm. and then we get ghosts coming back with a treat for john mm-hmm. white so we- fur and red eyes so let's talk about ghosts looking like a tree so john realizes you know like and it, it's kind of like white fur red eyes like the trees and ghost is like the trees but there's a lot of other characters that are magical that have these bone white skin and red eyes blood raven is one of them melisandra is one of them mm. and the ghost of high heart is one of them they're all described oh. as like pale with red eyes and then That's here a- comes ghost oh i forgot about uh the ghost of high heart and these are all magical beings, prophetical beings. Like they're all, and they're all tied to the old gods. Melisandre, pe- people always think that Melisandre, well, I'm not gonna say people always think because the book says Melisandre is like a priestess of Relore. But I had this theory that Melisandre was actually a wildling that was captured from Hardhome and sold into slavery at the temple of R'hllor and she was taught R'hllor but when she's at the wall she's still able to see things that she shouldn't be able to see because the ghost of high heart tells Thoros Amir you know look into your fires pink priest and you'll see not here though you won't see it here this land belongs to the old god still and um you you ain't gonna see shit here because mm-hmm. this is still their shit. This is our magic, babe. Yeah, and I feel like so that would pertain. And she's talking about the Riverlands. So imagine the wall. Like the wall is built on top of like an enormous weirwood. Like the Black Gate is a weirwood tree. I don't think that Melisandra should be able to see visions in the fires at the wall unless she has some kind of green seer blood that is allowing her to do that through the old gods and what she (laughs) sees is actually she sees blood raven and bran yes is one of the things she sees and i think she they scared her yeah they scared the shit out of her Hmm. so i think there could be something to that maybe not but i just 
love, I, I know for sure that ghost was sent to John by yes. the old gods <laughs> with that arm in his mouth. Yes. And, <laughs> and so they come, he comes back. They, you know, John's like, come here, ghost. What do you have? And they say, <laughs> that's a hand. Now, I think this is insane. I never tell you why. I think this is a huge Easter egg because I never thought about this before, but he gets a hand. His father is a hand. His father is hand of the king. Right. And just now he's being imprisoned by Joffrey. Right. So I feel like they're trying to tell John these the, by giving John this hand, they're not only trying to warn him that, look, your brothers are dead, people are dead. They're trying to also warn him, shit's going down with your dad. That might be, yeah, that might be a really, uh, that might be, I don't know if it would be foreshadowing, but it would definitely be a parallel telling. Yeah, I mean, and I only, <sighs> I say that because when they did the the found the direwolves in the snow the direwolf was dead killed by the stag like it's all symbolic so i think it could be symbolic that john gets this hand right after he says his vows because when he goes back he's gonna learn about his dad Hmm. so sad imagine how uh terrified his brothers might have been to see this giant direwolf with a hand in his mouth (laughs) i think about that all the time (laughs) i know these guys are probably scared as fuck of ghosts i mean I don't blame them. I don't blame no, them. Me neither. Me but neither. Girl. I would love ghosts. I'd be like, come here, boy. <laughs> Got some treats for you. <laughs> that are not hands. <laughs> yes. But I, I love it. I love this chapter. Uh, That's the end of the chapter. Did you have anything you wanted to add? No, I, I think we covered a lot and I think we got into some good theories and some good tinfoil yes oh this was so much fun thank you so much oh you're welcome and I would love to have you back on if you want to come on or if anybody listening wants to come on just hit up at nims shadow on twitter or instagram and she will schedule you and do you want to drop your fan fiction um one more time Yes, my fan fiction is The Black Mummers on Archive of Our Own. It's about Brienne the Assassin, uh, disguised as a man, trying to put the Targaryens on the throne. So check it out. It's a good time. All right. Well, I will see you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.